Welcome to the Taste and See podcast, a place where we can discuss our experiences in the kingdom of God and discover how we can impact the world around us, thereby being the salt and light of the earth. Here is your host, Josh Emmer. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Taste and See podcast. We are so glad that you are able to join us today. If this is your first time listening to us, the Taste and See podcast is a kingdom-based podcast that exists to encourage saints, empower believers, and reach the lost with the goodness of God. Psalm 34.8 states, Taste and see that the Lord is good. To taste is to experience, while to see is all about perception and discernment. It is our prayer that as we experience the kingdom of God together, that your perspective to the world around you would change. May we have a heart that pursues and echoes the heart of the Father. Today, we're going to be talking about everybody's favorite topic, money and finances. The topic of money and finances is often very hard to swallow for us because, well, many of us aren't the best at managing them. There are many statistics that speak loud and clear about the problem of debt and mismanaged personal finances in our country. Even though the household net worth is on the rise in America at $141 trillion in the summer of 2021, so is debt. The total personal debt in the U.S. is at an all-time high of $14.96 trillion. The average American debt per U.S. adult is 58,604, and 77% of American households have at least some type of debt. And there are over 55 million households with this kind of debt. The average credit card debt per household with this type of debt is $14,241, with the total in America hitting $787 billion. Statistics reveal that people in debt do envy their friends who don't have debt. Almost one in four, 24%, who have debt say the thing they envy the most about friends and family is a debt-free life, beating out cars, clothes, and homes as sources of envy. You know, it's interesting that people are just envious of those who are debt-free, and yet that envy is the same thing that keeps people in debt. Nearly half, 46% of Americans say their debt level creates stress and makes them anxious. The top two financial fears across all generations are not having a safety net for some unexpected big expense and not having enough money for retirement. Then there is the big dreaded B word. I declare bankruptcy! In 2020 alone, there were 544,000 463 bankruptcies. And you can't say that number is high because of COVID-19 because, my friends, in 2019, that number was 774,940. That is close to 6,000 people and families last year who fell victim to debt and financial mismanagement. What does Scripture say about money, debt, and wealth? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. He either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Jesus warns against the worship of money in the biggest sermon of his life. So if it's important to him, we should probably take notice. Jesus also said in Mark 4.19, But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And Solomon advises us in Proverbs 23, 4-5, Do not weary yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17-19, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. God also instructs us to be givers as well. Paul tells the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 9-7 that each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It is quite evident that God desires for his people to not make money an idol, to be good stewards of what he has provided for them, and to be cheerful givers. But I also think it would be fair to say we have missed that mark. Thankfully, God gives us his word to speak truth in our lives and to shed light in dark places. But God uses people he has gifted in the areas of finance and personal stewardship to help us as well. I am blessed and honored to have one of these individuals with me on the podcast today. We met two years ago on social media through mutual friends and partners in ministry. Even though we have never met in person, which I hope we can soon, I consider this man to be one of the largest spiritual voices in my life. He has walked me through some difficult seasons the past few years, and I know that his heart will echo with the heart of God, especially God's desire to see his children be fruitful in their finances, steward them responsibly, and give to those who have need. Our guest today is Pastor Ronnie Kinsey. Ronnie Kinsey is an author, speaker, and pastor who has an insatiable hunger to help people in their finances and to lead better lives. In all his years working with those from all walks of life, he has been able to see the issues so many people have with finances and works to eradicate these issues. In 2019, Ronnie released his book, Mending Your Money, how to fix your real financial issues, and it can be found and purchased on Amazon.com. Ronnie holds degrees in business and leadership and lives on the East Coast of Florida with his wife, Jen, and two children. Welcome, Ronnie, and I'm so honored to have you join us today. Josh, glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for your time again, and I'm so honored to have you here. And so, Ronnie, today we're going to be talking about this issue of debt and personal financial mismanagement that has I love it. reared its ugly head in our society. So many times. <laughs> oh, yeah. So many times. I mean, I can't tell you how many stories that I have heard from people who have either declared bankruptcy or 
marriages have fallen apart because of money. Mm -hmm. And I know that you have a lot of personal experience in this area. And in turn, you have so much wisdom to unpack for us in this next hour. So how long have you been writing and speaking about finances and what got you started in wanting to do so? So it's been... It's been about three or four years, and I'll tell you what got me started, Josh. I was in ministry uh, doing some stuff, and I I was the guy, I'll be honest with you, I was the guy that if you had any problem, I was the person you were sent to. It could be anything. It could be your marriage. It could be, you know, your dog ran away, um, you know, (laughs) anything. And here's what I realized, Josh. Person after person would come to me and say, help. I, I, I'm in this financial trouble. I don't know what to do. And I have, I have these advanced degrees. I got business degrees. I got leadership degrees. I got these ministry degrees. No one was coming up to me going, hey, can you do some exegesis with me? Uh, you, you know, in the book of Daniel, they were coming to me and going, I have no idea what to do. And I would sit down and just have these conversations. And I was, Josh, I was moved by them in ways that I could not even begin to understand because I could see the fear in their eyes. I could hear it in their voice and I could hear the despair. But here's what got me going, especially got me writing this book. Um, and it was the fact that I, I saw the answer. The answer was right there. When I'd sit at a table with somebody, if I was having coffee, if I was in the church, wherever it was, the answer was right there on the table. And when I would pass it across the table, essentially, everyone would be like, oh, Because just like so many other things, we want that pill. We want that magic pill, man. Tell me what, you know, hey, where's the lottery ticket at, Josh? Well, I ain't got it. But I do have a fix for it. Let me tell you what it is. Um, And the fix is evident. The fix is real. Uh, There are many people who've done what it takes and and gotten to the other side. Uh, But the the hard part is that this this is hard work, but doable hard work. So that's what got me going. And that's really what got... A lot of the passion that I have for it is because I've seen this. I've been right there with these people. I've walked along with them as they've gotten out of debt, um, as they've kept themselves from going further in the debt. Anything you could come up with, I've seen it personally. I've walked along with people, and um, it's just fun to do, man. I love seeing people set free. Just whether they're set free uh, you know, in Christ, they're also set free men and money, and it's, uh, it's fun to watch. Amen. I, I, you know, I think we often forget that God not only wants us to experience spiritual healing and even physical healing, but financial healing as well. Absolutely, man. You know, they all contribute to us being a round whole person made, made, made in the image of God. Yep. So what would you say is the biggest mistake people make with money? So I'm going to tell you a, a few stories of how this is and get to the answer from that way. I would sit down with people and it happened over and over, Josh. People would come in They would go, I really need your help. I don't know what to do. I'm like, well, tell me where you are. Tell me about the situation. Tell me what's going on. And it would be stuff like this would be like, well, uh, I'm a pilot for a large airline. And uh, my wife here, she's a nurse. And we've been married for 10 years. We got these two great kids. And man, we're just so, we're just so strapped financially. I talk to that family and I get another family. I'm a construction manager. My wife's a teacher. This stuff. And over and over and over, I would run into stories where people had money. They had money, Josh. They just spent it all. And granted, there's the situations where we don't have the money, but 90, probably 8% of them 
were that the person sitting across the table from me had money, but they'd mismanaged it. It's a saying of, you know, you make $100,000 a year, you spend 99000 you still have money left over. Well, what I'm finding with not all, but most people that I sit down with, they'll make 50, 80, 100, 150, 200, 300 thousand dollars, and they will spend every single dime. So what I was watching people do is, as they made money, as they had jobs, rather than living below their means, they were living beyond them. Brand new cars. They would have the best car. I would literally be talking to people, and as I greeted them when they were walking in, there'd be a brand new pickup truck that they were driving in on, and their wife would come in uh, with a luxury car. And I want people to hear me. There's nothing wrong with having those things if you can afford them and if they don't cause you the stress and the debt that comes along with it. I tell men so many times, you don't need a $60,000 pickup truck. You need a truck. <laughs> you, you do not need a BMW 7 Series. If you can afford one that does strap you, that is great. But sometimes we don't need an 80 or more $1,000 car. We need a car. But what happens in America is we don't want to drive a 2005 Honda Civic sometimes. Uh, we, we want to be able to tell ourselves we have the best. And listen, we have choices, Jocelyn. The problem is so many times we don't want to make the choice that we know deep down is right. We want the half a million dollar home and $80,000 truck without the debt. But the problem is we have to make $400,000 a year a lot of times to do these things. And we don't. And I'll find that when someone makes... Uh, like a common number, they might go from $80,000 household income to a hundred. The situation doesn't get better because they just spend the other 20 and more so because they see the dollar signs and they start getting more and more and more things. And those things is what keeps us from going there. It's not, and most times the lack of money, it's the lack of spending it properly. And there's different ways once we identify that or can say, nope, that's the situation I'm in. Uh, that we can begin to walk away from it. So it's spending beyond our means. With all that that I just said, it's we're spending right up to the line, and most of the time we're spending over the line. If we just back away from the line as far as we can, our money woes would change overnight, quickly at least. At least start heading back in the right direction overnight. And I can resonate with what you're talking about, just the need for more. I remember I, I, I got a credit card. And I really wanted a new pair of Nike sneakers and mm -hmm. I couldn't afford them. You know, I was, I was a retail manager at Walmart at the time. And, you know, right. retail managers at Walmart make buku bucks. Right. And, you know, I, I really wanted these pair of sneakers. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to use this credit card and swiped it. And $120 later, that just magically appeared. I had my Nike sneakers. Right. And I just kept spending more and more and more. And my credit line was, I think, at $1,000. And I kept pushing up closer to that credit limit and just just kept spending because, you know, hey, when you don't see the cash, the money is just magically there. And I just kept spending <laughs> more and more. And I realized when I got closer, they decided, hey, you are such a good customer. We're going to increase your credit line even more. And it went from 1000 to $4,000. So here I am just continuing to spend, making my monthly payment. Even I didn't care if it was 
70 or 80 or 90 dollars because you know that's a small price to pay for this extravagant amount of money and resources i had at my fingertips and so eventually i found myself ten thousand dollars in debt from one credit card alone and i'm telling you man it uh it's just when i realized that it became really real i feel like sometimes we realize what we've done in mismanaging our money right. when sometimes it's too late. Yeah. And I think that's what happens too. And realizing the biggest goal is for us to make sure that it, we never end up in that position. But also if someone right now is listening to be able to tell them, hey, there is hope if you're in this position. But what we have to do is we have to make a complete 180 and begin to walk out of the situation that we're in. It's like going to the woods, you know, you can walk into the woods and your car's behind you and you walk down the straight path and you walk and you walk and you walk and you walk for two straight hours. And then all of a sudden you get in there and you want to be instantly back at the car. Well, no, we have to make a 180 turn and we've got to go all the way back that way where we went. And I think that's the hard work of it sometimes. And Josh, you said something when you were describing that to me that I talk about in the book. There's something magical about a credit card. You know, when, when you tell me that, hey, um, you get a new car, but you have to cut your neighbor's grass a hundred times to get it. Whoa, man, I feel that, man. I think about the sweat and the dirt, and I think about a push mower, man. But they've made it easy for us. If we want something that costs hundred, five hundred thousand, whatever the number is, I take this little bitty card. And I don't even have to swipe it anymore. I just put it in the chip reader now, man. I just insert the card and whatever you want, you walk right out the door with it. Psychologically, man, that is something that is powerful. It's powerful to say, you know, well, I want the $125 Nike tennis shoes or well, I want the $450 ones. Buddy, I can walk right in and doop, dang, 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 dang. you know, the, the end of the sound that it makes when it says remove card. We all love that sound. Bang, bang, bang. That's really the alert of, man, you just got whatever it is that you wanted. You're about to walk out the store. They're going to put it in a pretty little bag. They're going to put the receipt in there and say, you have a great day, Josh. Hope you have a great one. And you know what? Man, that was easy. And you know what? I only have all this. I only have to pay $40 a month on this card. And that's the minimum payment. Psychologically, it creates this. You mean I can buy all this stuff and I just pay $40 a month for it? Wow. We're not doing the math in our head, <laughs> especially when Mr. Interest begins to come in. We forget the, the, the yield that they put on these things sometimes or over 20%. It can start be, oh, you know, a hey, 1%, 2% for the first six months. You forget it goes to like 23, 24 after that. This is insane interest numbers, but they do it. Why? Because they can. You agreed to do it before you even got the card. You, you, you little, you know, the little small print that no one wants to read. They're telling you they're going to do this to you, but people just rock and roll and do it anyway. And that is the trap. They want to make it easy. It's so easy to get into debt, but getting out of it is going to be much harder because not only do we have to walk back, but we have to then begin not only get down to zero to where, where we're not spending more than we make, we have to go in the other direction to make the difference. If I make $100,000 a year, but I've been spending $120,000, not only did I get my spending down to 100000 a year, but I have to get it below there to catch up from the years of spending that I've been over the line. 
And I think it's that piece where there is a wake-up check for a lot of people. But at the same time, guys, I think that it creates the understanding that this is work. Everyone I talk to, I tell them, we can get out of this. We can make this happen. That's the great news. The bad news is this is going to be work. And I begin to um, go through different things that I recommend for people. And uh, every time, sometimes people's eyes get big, like, what do you mean I, I don't need to see the inside of a coffee shop? I said, I mean, you don't need to see the inside of a coffee shop. Rather than drinking a three, four, six dollar cup of coffee, I'm telling you to go and buy some community coffee from Publix, Kroger, or Winn-Dixie, wherever you live. And I'm telling you to make it at home, buy you a thermos, whatever you want to call it, and drink it on the way to work. And you don't need to see the inside of a Starbucks until you're well out of debt. <gasps> Ronnie, I can't believe you would say that. It's exactly what I'm saying. And that's just one of the simple things. There's actually other things that um, we can talk about or whatnot that can help us get there. But that's one of the simple things. Why? Because it's, it's the small things in life that make us happy. You know what can really make us happy? When we're not in debt and we can look at our bank account that is Zero debt. We can pay off our credit card every month, even if we want to use it. And we have money in the bank, not only to have as a cushion, but we have plenty to go and buy and do whatever we want. That is joy. Now, it's hard to get there, but any person who's willing to take the steps, you can get to that spot. I remember seven years ago when I began that journey of turning around, like you were mentioning, and I had lots of financial counselors and coaches along the way, and thankfully, I, I was able to pay off that entire balance. But I realized just how hard that journey can be. And Dave Ramsey says that financial winners don't run sprints. They run marathons. They don't rush. They do it step by step over time. So... What are some simple things or steps that can help people turn around, begin that journey back to the car to get out of debt and get on track? The term I will use is to get away from the line. What is the line? The line is where we go from not being in debt to in debt. If you're a person, you make, we'll say $50,000 a year because that's roughly $1,000 a week. You need to know these numbers. You need to know, I think one of the first things I do in the book is ask people to know how much you make, know how much money's coming in, know how much is going out. The reason I do that in the book is I would sit down with people and I'd go, hey, how much do you make a year? They had no worthy idea. They could give me a round figure. I'd say, how much do you spend a year? They really didn't know because I would tell them to tell me. I would write it down and they'd come back the next week. I'd say, come back with the real numbers. They would come back and go, man, I looked, I looked at how much I spend and man, it made, oh my Lord, it rocked my socks. Yes, it's a lot because we don't look at it. We just spend. The credit card will still swipe, so we still spend. But here's how we get away from the line, okay? We start with the big things first. I don't know about you, but if I buy a $4 cup of coffee each day, let's see, so $4 a day, I work five days a week, four times five, I hope is 20, it's $20 a week, times four, $80. If I'm doing my math right, check me if I'm not, I'm not a mathematician. Let's say it's $80 a month. Man, we can save $80, man, that'll get us somewhere. But here's what I also know. I got two kids, I got a wife, they're 12 and 10, they like to eat. 
if we go down to the local spot here where I live, each meal's thirteen to fifteen dollars. Let's call it fifteen for easy math. And for people, that's $60, 10%, 6, 12, that's $72 for four people to go and have dinner. That's not counting the, if we get a Coke, Sprite, whatever, tea, it's $250 usually or whatnot. We'll leave that off. $72 for us to go and to get dinner. If we do that over and over and over, that begins to get expensive. We do it twice a week. It's what, $144? Oh, my Lord, we're getting expensive real quick. Me and you both know we can go to Kroger, Winn-Dixie, Publix, whatever it is. For $144, we can get quite a few meals. I hate to tell people to eat turkey sandwiches. I hate to tell them to eat PBJs. I hate to tell them to make a whole bunch of spaghetti, meat, no meat, however you want to make it. that will help you out. But it's a fact of the matter. If we're eating at home, we're spending less than we would. And it's simple. I love Olive Garden, but Mr. Olive and Mr. Garden have more money than I do because they, what? They buy the food, they sell it at a higher price in order to make money. That's the business they're in. It's okay. It's great. I love going there. But if you're in debt, you don't need to be spending $70 on a meal for a family of four. You can do it for way less. That's going to help you begin to peel back. Now, let me get to some of the big ones here. A lot of times where we live, the bank would love to sell us a home. Clearly, the person selling it would like to sell it. The bank would love to finance it. Why? Because they make lots of money. Every person who's listening right now who owns a home has this fun stuff that they do. They got principal, which is going towards the house. They have this weird thing called escrow, which I'm not sure why I'm giving all these people so much money. Oh, my Lord, where's it all going? We have this thing called interest. When you buy a home, I love to look at the breakdown because I love to see how much money the bank's getting. And they are getting plenty. Banks want to finance that home for you because they get that interest money. They make lots of money off of doing it. So they may give you one that you probably shouldn't have just because you get approved for a certain amount doesn't mean you need a house that big. Why do I bring this up? We get house payments, $2,000, $2,500, dollars a month. Those are big ticket items, massive ticket items that sometimes we can tell ourselves, what if we sold this house and downgraded what if we didn't have to have the biggest house in the neighborhood? What if we didn't have to live in the greatest place? And even bigger sometimes, do I need the car sitting in the driveway? Or do I need one that'll get me from A to B? I believe it was something like the average car payment these days is somewhere around $550, sometimes even more. That is a lot of money. <laughs> In a year, you get $500, so in one year, that's $6,000. We can go and get a car, a great car, for just a little bit more than that. We can go and buy a car and be done with the payment. That's the kind of stuff that we need to look at. Where are my big-ticket items that I can back off? So many times I would have people, and they would literally be sitting in front of me, and they would have a $50,000, $60,000 car. They would sell it. They would go and buy themselves a $15,000 car, get rid of the payment, be there. They would do that with two vehicles, sometimes even downgrade on a house, and then begin to do some small things. And you're saying, Ronnie, you're telling me to move, telling me to sell my cars. I don't know where you are. Maybe you're $5,000 in debt. We can get there quicker. I have people that are six digits or more in debt that sometimes we have to go. Guys, if we're going to build something small in our backyard, we need shovels. We need some pickaxes. Maybe we need some forming board to pour some concrete. If I want to build a massive coliseum, I need heavy equipment. If you're in 50, 60, 70, 
80, $100,000 of debt, we're going to have to start making massive corrections to get us back to where we want to go and to the place that we need to be. And I've asked people, wouldn't you rather be able to sometime in July say, I would love to take a Disney vacation. Let's go here. Let's go there. Oh, how are we going to plan it and have the cash to do it rather than look for a card? Wouldn't you want to be able to go and do something and not have to worry about how much money is in the bank? It's the small things like that, the rewards that can get us there. But the work it's going to take is one, figure out how much we make, two, figure out how much we spend and make sure that second number is considerably less than the first. I'll say it again. We need to know how much we make. We need to know how much we spend and we need to make sure that how much we spend is considerably less than that. So we shared with our Taste and See community about our topic for this week, and we simply asked them to submit questions that they had about personal finances and stewardship. So if you're all right with it, I would like to dive into some of these questions. So we had someone ask, how much money on an average is a good amount for retirement for two people if your home and your cars are paid for? I love that question. Here's why I love that question. I don't have a number for you. Ronnie, how can you not have a number for me? It's funny that question is asked because I was just having this conversation with someone recently. And we sat down and we did this. Um, They are able to retire, this person I was speaking to. So if you're listening to this, follow me here. They could retire at 52. So they were going through the math and everything, how much they spend, how much they make, how much they were going to get. And I said, uh, hey, friend, you're, you're 52. How long do you plan on living? And they're like, man, I, I, I sure hope till I'm in my 90s. I go, okay, 92 is 40 years from now. Wow, 40 years. So we wrote down the number 40. And I said, well, how much do you need? And we started doing this number or whatnot. So you realize that, hey, if I'm going to spend $25,000 a year, car and home paid for, okay? Because this is the stuff you have to realize. Car and home paid for, if I spend just $25,000 a year, well, 10 years is $250,000. What's 40 of them? A million dollars. Do the math again. $25,000 times 10, $250,000. That's 10 years of spending $25,000 a year. I don't know about you, but I spend, uh, spend more than $25,000 a year. We do that. We do that from 52 to 92, we do that for 90 years, we need a million dollars. They looked at me like I had antlers. Why? Because they didn't have a million dollars. <laughs> but what I would say to that person is, rather than me giving you a number of how much you need, sit down and look at how much you're going to spend. Look at how much that number would be for you. Because here's the thing. Maybe when you're retired, you want to move to the beach, Maybe you want to live in a condo and they're $600,000. Maybe you want to go and have margaritas on the beach. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But what you want to do in retirement is going to make all that difference. Because frankly, if your house is paid for, cars are paid for, and you retire at 55, well, in 10 years, you're only going to be 65. You won't even be 70. Do you think your car will still run or do you think you need another car? Uh, You may need another car. Is it ever going to need to be worked on? Yeah. What work is it going to need to be done? I have no earthly idea. Or do you want to drive a 2001 Buick LeSabre with a little bit of rust on it? Or do you want a BMW 5 Series in your retirement? Because here's, and I hope they're listening. One thing I always like to say is 
you can either pay now and play later or play now and pay later. Ronnie, what's that mean? You can pay now and do the hard work it is to really, 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 really build your money. And then when you get to retirement age, look at a number that says, man, I can live off of this for 30 or 40 years. Because we have people retiring now. Usually I see people retiring around 55. I'm going to use that number because most people work past that. But a lot of people I see retiring at 55. Well, 85 is 30 years from 55. Again, unless my math is totally wrong. 55 to 85 is 30 years of living. Again, $25,000 a year that we spend. We do that for 10 years. We're at 250. We do it for 30 years. It costs 750,000. If that person's listening, follow me. To live from 55 to 85 off of $25,000 a year is $750,000. If you want to do it on a half a million, you're going to run out of money at 75. Josh, why did I hesitate to give this person a number? I don't know if they'll live to be 70, 75. I hope they live to be 100. But if you live to be 100 and you only had $500,000, you retired at 55, and you whoops, kept living, kept living, kept living, and you ran out of money, you didn't have one of those retirement plans, uh, you're out of money. That's why we need to make plans early. Because a lot of jobs, when you retire... Uh, at a certain age, they'll give you a percentage. Let's see, a lot of places you can retire at 80%, which means at 55, you can retire and still get 80% of your salary until you die. You can keep going in that. They're not going to go, well, you retired. We're only going to give you that money for 10 years. A lot of places, a lot of people that I know do that. And that leads me to please be thinking about retirement. Because the people listening, Joshua, that's you, someone listening to a person asked that question. If you don't have a job that has retirement or you can't attain some type of more money while you sleep, essentially, in the retirement age, you only have one lump sum and you have no way to make more. So what we see is we we see people working past 55 into their 60s, sometimes into their 70s. And if you love what you do, that's great. You're going to have a great time doing it. But a lot of people that I meet don't want to go to work. They want to be done. They want to go to the beach. They want to prop their feet up, not do a whole lot. And they, you know, they want to go on the carnival cruise. That's kind of where I like to be. But we have to equate all these things. And if you're listening, I ask you to get out a pen and piece of paper and figure out that number. And Josh, I'll tell you, it can be done literally in less than half an hour. Usually people can look down and figure out how much they're making, figure out how much their retirement may be. I, the people I'm around will do it in a conversation. Well, I can make this much. I can do this many percent. Carry the one, two, seven. Oh, it'll be $70,000. I can have that. Or I get no retirement. It's all up to me. Or, hey, I just have a 401k um, and begin to do those numbers. But those are going to be big numbers. So, you know, figure out how long you need to work. Do the math. Do the work in figuring out what those numbers are. And uh, then trust yourself in them. And I, uh, I just really want to just echo what you're talking about because full time. I don't know if any of our listeners know about this, but full time, I work in street outreach and I work with homeless individuals day in and day out. Whether it's hearing their stories or they ask to praying with them, and I can't tell you how many seniors I run into on the streets who are living on the streets without a single dime without a roof over their heads because they ran out of money. They ran out of their retirement. 
Social Security doesn't make much. And here they are with this huge need for even an assisted living facility at times. And yet even with Medicare and Medicaid and some Social Security, because they don't have that retirement there, they can't flip that bill. And so just hearing you say how important to save for retirement is, I want to echo, echo, echo that through and through because I have seen many who are on the negative receiving end of not making the steps to save for retirement. And we do have another question, and it's from our listener, and they are saying, we can see in the news that cryptocurrency, such as Bitcoin, is on the rise. Some people have earned wages through it, and more and more people are using it as a form of payment. So what are your thoughts on using a portion of a 401k to invest in cryptocurrency? That's an amazing question. And I, I, I own cryptocurrency. So um, clearly I like it, <laughs> you know, um, but I would say this to, to the person asking the question, I would keep your 401k and add on some cryptocurrency that you want to add. Ronnie, why are you telling me this? I have my cryptocurrency for the long haul. I'm not interested in selling it. I'm not trying to wait for the ups and the downs. I'm going to wait decades. My goal is to hold on this stuff decade upon decade and then cash it out and hope it did better than just sitting in my Chase account. I have my retirement account. I have other things that I own. But I would definitely say this. Consider in your 401k, rather than moving things around, keep the 401k as it is, continue to add to it. Hopefully, uh, and if you're listening and you have, listen, let me take a kind of a sidetrack on these 401ks because this is something I'm very serious about. A lot of places will match your 401k up to a certain point. If you are listening and you are not contributing towards the match, I want to reach through this podcast, shake you a little bit and beg you, They're giving you money. They're literally giving you. I know some people that have like up to 9% match. And I'm like, they're giving you retirement money. Yeah, but I won't. You won't want. You want your money now. 62-year-old you propped up watching a 70-inch television with a little umbrella lemonade with a trolley straw in it is going to thank you if you do this match and don't worry about what you want right now. So I would say you can get, there's, there's different platforms that allow you to buy cryptocurrency. Robinhood's one of them that's very popular. There's plenty of them. I'm not trying to give a, a, you know, a thing for them, but consider just taking some money and each and every bit that you get as you save, you can add to how much crypto you own. Think about it. If you do $100 a month, I'm going to add, 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 add. Over time, that account grows and grows and grows. And over the decades, you've added something else to your retirement rather than just switching something in there. Oh, let me put this in rather than that. No, 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 no. Use crypto to add towards your wealth. Use it to build on towards your wealth. Why am I telling you this? Because that's what I do. I do it because I believe in it. I do it because I've seen these things. I've sat across the table, not just from people who are losing money and in debt. I've sat across the table, Josh, from people who have tons and tons of money. They have investments and everything. And they always told me, hey, 
you need your retirement, you need other streams that are going to be able to build stuff for you. Buy some stocks that you like. Have your 401k. Have some crypto that you keep for the long haul that you know is going to do well. Okay? Have all those things. And as they all begin to build, you'll get 55, 60, 65. And you won't be running out of money because you'll have abundantly more than you needed because you prepared now. Like you talked about, you meet the people on the streets. They ran out of money. Go ahead and pay now so that you can play later. Pay into these things and build your retirement. Don't take anything out. Build on to the 401k. Add things you know, onto it. Hey, I'm saving uh, you know, 5%, 6%. Make it 10 when you get to 10, try to take that other few percentage, put it in, buy some, you know, some, some cryptocurrencies that you like. And, and let me say this, Josh, since I'm talking about cryptocurrency, I own different cryptocurrencies, okay? I believe in them. I have lost money on cryptos before. So please buy safe investments. You quoted, Josh, you quoted Dave Ramsey. I'm going to quote him again, okay? He says, everyone wants to get rich fast. He says, the tortoise always beats the hare. Uh, Warren Buffett. Man, I tell you, once I started listening to Warren Buffett, I started to make more money. You know how that happened, Josh? I'll tell you how it happened. Warren Buffett, and I'll try to do my Warren Buffett voice, he'd go, everybody just wants to get rich overnight. Nobody wants to be super rich really slow. So they want to be fast, then they lose money. And that just stuck with me. He goes, you know what you got, you know what you bought, keep it. Keep it for the long haul. And Josh, that just spoke to me so well. And Taking their wisdom, buying these things and letting them ride out. You know, I trusted Tesla over the long haul. It's paid. I've trusted that Bitcoin would go somewhere. It paid off. Find some companies that you really know are going to do well, that deep down, I can't give you stock advice to the people who are listening. I don't want to. I really want you to do it for yourself and say, I believe in this company. I think they're going somewhere. Uh, you know, like me, I'm 39, right? So I'm about to be 40. I believe they're going to do well when I'm 40. I believe they'll be doing well when I'm 50. And I believe when I'm 70, it'll still be strong. When you feel that way about a company, that's something you can dive in on. Um, And that's kind of how I tell people, have your 401k through your work, however you pay into it, have an IRA, whatever that may be too, and do stuff on top of it. Don't let that be your only source. Why are you saying this, Ronnie? Because I see too many people, okay? I live in a beach town in Florida. You said that um, in the intro, but I see people that are riding around, man, and they're 60. They got a Porsche. They're smiling. The wind's blowing through their hair. They really invested early in life and it paid off later rather than saying, I'm going to spend everything, do this, 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 and then hope it works out. Hoping isn't going to work. We're going to need to make concrete plans and that's going to be multiple streams of things that can make us money over the long haul, working hard. And man, it, it, it's a winning combination, man. I've seen it over and over. That is so good. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. You bet, man. So if you need if you need some extra money and someone needs to hire you as a Warren Buffett impersonator for a party, are are you for hire? Because that, that voice was pretty spot on. You know, man, if they need to contact me, hopefully my stuff's in there. And I, I'm here, man. I'll always be the Warren Buffett because uh, I've watched plenty of his videos. And I should have it down because I'm like, if this guy can't tell me how to make money, I don't know who can. And he over and over would talk about um, it takes time. To get you got to do it slow. You're not going to make it overnight. Anything that's going to make you rich overnight is a trap. I've heard that from multiple people. And um, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I could have bought, you know, $10,000 in Dogecoin, you know, a year ago and sold it the day before Elon went on to Saturday Night Live. And I would have made 
you know, an astronomical amount of money. But guess what, Josh? I did it. <laughs> I did it. I didn't buy tons of Shiba Inu a year and a half ago and then sold it two weeks ago. So what, what are we to say? We can either A, have ESP and know which one of these random coins is going to increase by a thousand percent. Or we can do the tried and true method that billionaires, millionaires have told us over and over. It's not a secret. Rather than doing that, you can invest for retirement. If your company gives you a match, take the match. And you can also, on top of that, build things that you know, stocks that are going to be quality stocks, diversified portfolios, and then spending less than we make. Josh, and we can do that decade after decade. I'm telling you, man, you'll go somewhere and you'll be where you want to be. And at 65, you can be the most comfortable you've ever met rather than being the most stressed you've ever been. Because I don't know about you guys, but um, I don't want to be stressed at 65, especially, think about this, at 88. I can't imagine being 88 and having zero. You're right, these Social Security checks um, you know, roll in, and it's, it's not enough. Let's just be honest. I want to tell everyone here listening. I've, you've talked to him, Josh. I've talked to him. And if you're listening, you, you probably have too. Um, th- th- these are not $2,500, $3,000, $5,000 a month checks. They're, um, they're considerably less than that. And usually they're not even enough to pay the rent, let alone do other stuff, pay the power bill and water bill and everything along with it. So you got to think about these things and prepare now. It's just like when a hurricane comes, you know, you need to prepare before the storm comes. When you're right in the middle of it, you can't prepare. It's too late. You prepare in the time of calm, which is pretty much the moment that we're in right now. That's hopefully not being 88 and at zero dollars. I know that you talked about where you have invested and how much to invest. Someone did ask, when should you start investing and where, how do you invest? Yeah. So my answer to the first question is immediately. Please start now. When I run across people who are 19, 20, 21 years old, I literally want to get down on my knees and begin to beg them. Please go up and an IRA, Roth IRA, anything, anything that you're putting money into that you're going to keep. Because 20 to 55, okay, we got 35 years of investment time. People can be retiring millionaires if they'll just start at 20 years old and putting in just minimal money. It's not putting in $5,000 you know, a month, whatever this is. This is minimal money. So the time to start investing is now. I beg anyone listening, no matter how young you are, to begin with just $100 a month. Okay, If you have an employer that has a 401k, you can go do that. You can go to a lot of these large branches or whatnot and open up Roth IRAs. These are retirement accounts that you can put money into. They can draft your paycheck. You can pay into them however you want to do. There's literally in the year 2021, there are almost beyond imaginable ways to do it. But either way, be sure that you're doing them. Be sure that you're putting in at least $100. And here's the thing, guys. You can build on that. I've gotten stuff sometimes that, um, you know, uh, I, I'll receive something that's above and beyond. And not only will I go and tithe and give above and beyond, I'll invest it instead of just going out and so to say, blow that money. Oh, look, I've got $2,000. What can I go do with it? 
I can put that in one of these retirement accounts. I can put it into an investment account that I have. And there's fewer good feelings than open that thing up and going, good Lord, I got how much? There's no way that's right. That thing is growing. It's going and it's going up and to the right rather than down and to the left. Because um, interest is going to go down and to the left. It's going to take your money. But when you get things that make money, that are assets rather than liabilities, that's how we go. So when do we invest? We start now. How do we do it? I always tell people, please start if you have an employer uh, with any retirement means. Sometimes they won't have a 401k maybe that you pay into, but they'll have, um, you know, like a, a Merrill Lynch account or they'll have someone that they're in with, you know, that they've, that they've partnered with that can help you get started. Call them immediately, email them and go, how do I just get this ball rolling with an RA, Roth RA, whatever it is, some type of retirement account that they would recommend and man, hit the ground running. And then Josh, people tell me, well, Ronnie, I've got no retirement. I've got zero. I'm in debt. Or maybe I just got out of debt. Well, I'm 42 years old. It's too late. Well, here's what I'll tell them, okay? If you're listening, do me a favor. Breathe in. Breathe out. Put your hand on your chest. Whoa. You're still breathing and your heart is still beating. It's probably time to start now. If you say that you don't have time, it's probably time to begin. Because at least if you're 40, you can do something in 20 years. You'll only be 60. Go talk to somebody who's 60. They still feel young. Ronnie, I'm 70. All right, I don't know what to do. There's always time to begin something. And that time is this very second. Ronnie, I just want to thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your encouragement today for us to live our lives victoriously in the arenas of personal finance and stewardship. And so I pray that God continues to bless you and your family, um, you and Jen and the kids, and that he continues to use you in ways that are exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ask or imagine. Ronnie, if people would like to connect with you beyond this podcast on any further questions they may have regarding personal finances, how can they do so? Uh, well, I'm on Instagram and my it's at the Ronnie Kinsey, R-O-N-N-I-E, Kinsey, K-I-N-S-E-Y. I'm also on Facebook. You can message me anytime. I always reply to my messages. Um, and they can email me at Kinsey, K-I-N-S-E-Y, 095 at yahoo.com. I'd love to speak with anybody and just give pointers and to help people. I began this journey because I want to help people and do things for people. And um, it's been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. So if you're listening, always hear from you. Uh, and uh, Josh, I thank you for having me. It's been truly an honor to be here on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's been great to have you. And finally, if you have not already done so, make sure you go to Amazon. I believe it's the only retailer that it's on right now. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Order Ronnie's book, Mending Your Money, How to Fix Your Real Financial Issues. We will also have a link to purchase the book on our Facebook page, on our Instagram profile, and at www.tasteandseepodcast.com. We pray that you were encouraged today and you were equipped with at least some knowledge to begin the journey toward financial freedom. God doesn't just desire spiritual and physical healing for his children, but financial healing and freedom as well. I pray that you would walk boldly on this new path of good stewardship and that God would bless you exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine. And always remember, friends, that the Lord is good. See you next week. 
Thank you for listening to the Taste and See podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and empowered by our conversation today. For future and past episodes, please follow us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Taste and See podcast. Now go, live for the kingdom, and always remember that the Lord is good.